Look at that picture, man. Uh, that's my wife, Sarah. My son, Emerson, he's eight. Looks like Gene Hackman. Not sure how that happened. And don't get, don't get sucked in by that three-year-old. Uh, we have a kind of a, a statement that my wife and I say, we will not negotiate with terrorists. But uh, she, she just, she has me wrapped around her finger and, oh man, and we're huge Johnny Cash fans, obviously all in black. Her name's Mercy June Carter after the one who uh, really helped him out. Uh, it's really great to be back in Fullerton. I love this city. This city is so near and dear to my heart for a number of reasons. One, I went to school here. Uh, I went to Hope International. Also went to uh, Cal State Fullerton. Played some basketball. It's probably a little bit of an overstatement. I sat at the bench. Uh, I was a part of a church here, non-for-profit here. I love this city. And even when I was in college, I would show up uh, to EV Free and uh, part of uh, a ministry for 20-somethings back in the day. I won't even give away my age, but it was a while ago. So uh, it's an honor to be here. I want to begin with a question. What if Edward Kimball said no? What if Edward Kimball said no? Smart people are sitting here going, well, who's Edward Kimball? I'll tell you. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He had six, seven squirrely junior high, high school age students. And one night before he's going to bed, he hears this whisper, this prompting from God. You ever have one of those? And God just kind of says something to you. You feel it deep within your gut, in your core. And you're like, this must be God. But this whisper was simply this. I want you to go to that junior and high school's workplace tomorrow. I want you to head downtown, go to that shoe store, and I want you to tell that squirrely junior student the gospel. And he's like, this must be bad pizza. But he does it. And he goes on this faith adventure where each step is a risk the next morning, and he's just walking and he's wondering, is this God? Or did I make this up? I hope this is God, but I, I think I might have made it up. He walks up the stairs, opens the door to this downtown shoe store, and there's the student right in front of him, stocking shoes up on a ladder. And then it gets real. And the Sunday school teacher walks up to him, puts his hand on his shoulder, and says, my son, I need to tell you something. God loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his son. He goes through this incredible gospel story and his hand on the shoulder. He invites him into a relationship with Jesus. And the man just is pouring out his heart for this 11th grade student. Crickets. Student doesn't say anything. And so awkward moves his hand from the shoulder, walks out. And unbeknownst to him, when that student gets off work, he finds himself walking outside of his workplace, sitting on those stairs, and he surrenders his life to Christ. That student's name was D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody. And Dwight Moody went on to be one of the greatest evangelists in the country. Started Moody Bible Institute, Moody Publishing, Moody Radio. Everything's Moody. Like, there's so much Moody out there. And what's amazing is I find myself thinking about this story is it might not have happened if Edward Kimball said no. When God whispers to you, do you say no? There's this guy in our church. His name's Jose. He works in a car dealership. Don't hold that against him. But he, he loves to sell cars. It's what his thing is. And he's good at it. They're getting to the end of the month. 
And if they sell 11 cars in one day, they will break a dealership record. So the general manager walks in, pulls all the salesmen together and says, all right, hey, I need you to sell this many cars. I need you to sell this many cars. I need you to sell this many cars. And at this moment, my friend Jose hears a whisper from God. Tell him you'll sell four cars. Everyone else is like one or two. And he goes, don't just tell him you'll sell four cars. Make a deal with him. Tell him if you sell four cars, he has to come to church with you. So Jose raises his hand and goes, I'll sell four cars if you come to one of our Christmas Eve services. And then the general manager goes, if you sell four cars, I'll do whatever you want. He's like, all right. He, gets, he leaves the meeting, gets on the horn, and by noon, he's sold two cars. He's got seven hours to go, two more cars to sell. He's fired up and then goes through a lull. Until 5.45, he sells one more car. It's 6.15, he's got 45 minutes left, and he's praying, begging, and at 6.45, a guy walks in and says, hey, you sold a car to a friend of mine three and a half years ago. My car just blew up. I called him, and he said, go see Jose. So here I am. I need to buy a car right now. By 7.20, he sold his fourth car. He signs the papers, gets it off, goes to his phone, texts his general manager, four cars sold. Which Christmas Eve service are you going to? <laughs> Crickets. The next day, he gets called into his general manager's office. He walks in there. He's got like the nine services down. He's ready. And the general manager pulls out his checkbook and goes, how much do you want your bonus to be? Whew. Now, this is where it gets funny. Because you can like say, hey, God, I tried. I know you put that on my heart, but I tried. I gave it a valiant, good old effort. Now he wants to pay me. This is awesome. And right at this moment, Jose's got this choice, conviction or cash. And he looks at his general manager and goes, we had a deal. I sell four cars, you come to a service. And the general manager goes, I'm not going to your church. And gets up and walks out. And now Jose is like head in his hands. And he's sitting there and he's like, did I mess this up? I mean, I could have gotten some cash. I messed this up. And then the general manager walks back in and goes, you're right. We did have a deal, but here's my deal. If I got to go, then all these jokers outside got to go too. <laughs> so on December 21st, 2015, 131 staff and their families from a Nissan dealership outside Chicago showed up to Willow Creek Community Church Christmas Eve services. Man. Yes. And I see here and I go, what if Jose would have said no? What if Edward Kimball would have said no? How often do you say no? Can I just tell you my theology? What I believe about God, I think God's all powerful. I think God is in control. I think God's in heaven. I think his presence is here. But you know what I think God really loves? I think God loves taking all of this redemptive potential and letting you play and letting you play and letting you play and letting you play and letting you play, letting us join with him in the redemption and restoration of all things. That's what God loves to do. But what happens when God says, come on, come on, I need your help. No. Well, can you help me? No. Can you help me? No. Can you help? And when a church says 
No. Over and over and over again, heaven loses out, the kingdom loses out, church loses out, family loses out, the city loses out. And I want to redeem saying yes. Someone asked me recently, Steve, who's your hero of the scriptures besides Jesus? It was a quick answer for me. He's only mentioned 11 times in scripture. His name is Ananias. He's an everyday follower of Jesus. He's like you and I. He's someone who just has this hunger, this yearning. He wants to join with God. He wants to be a part of what God's going to do. He's like you and I. And in Acts chapter 9, he partakes in a conversation that transforms the rest of the New Testament. And what I began to discover is that Ananias is this model, this example for living an invitational kind of life. The kind of life that invites people into something so much bigger, so much holier, so much more sacred, so much more of Jesus, so much more filled with goodness and grace and kindness and peace. It's like this stunning thing. And I wanna share it with you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter nine. If not, it's gonna be up on the screen. Verse 10, chapter nine says this. In Damascus, and Damascus was 150 miles from Jerusalem, there was a disciple named Ananias. Disciple in Hebrew is the word Talmudim. Talmudim are people who are students and apprentices of a rabbi. To be a Talmudim were two things. You had to have high desire and high devotion. High desire. You wanted to be like your rabbi. And you had this high devotion. You were fully devoted into his teachings, his philosophy, his perspective. High desire. High devotion. Quick question. If you were to ask yourself if Jesus is your rabbi, your Lord, your Savior, how, how is your desire and how high is your devotion right now? And Ananias was known in this city, 150 miles from Jerusalem, as like this devoted disciple. And it says this. Then the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And God whispers to him, God calls out to him, God prompts him, and his first response isn't, oh, uh, can you come back later? Is that really you? I don't, I don't really think you're inviting me into anything. His first response is, yes, Lord. Here's what I need you to understand. The supernatural activity of God starts when we say Yes. When's the last time you said yes to God? When's the last time God whispered, prompted, said something to you, and your first response was, yes. Yes, Lord. Here I am. What do you need? What do you want? I'm in it. Let's go. Come on, come on, come on. Let's do this together. Yes. See, when you live the kind of life that goes deep with Jesus, high desire, high devotion, you open yourself up to be attuned to heaven, to hear the whispers and the promptings of God. And then he responds so beautifully, yes. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. You know what God's asking? 
He sees the way that Ananias is living, but now he's going, hey, here's what I need you to do. I need you to show up. I need you to show up somewhere for me. It's this guy's name, Judas. He lives off a straight street. And there's this guy named Saul of Tarsus. But please, just show up. He's waiting for you. You ever had one of those promptings from God where you're like, I don't know what I'm getting myself into? It's like this real, true faith adventure. I was in Bujumbura, Burundi. And we were working on this microfinance kind of loan. What we were trying to do is actually raise all this capital and money and give it to these women who had these micro-enterprise initiatives so that they could make money, start businesses, and actually pour into their families and to their villages. But we were having a problem. We could not infiltrate the government in Burundi to actually find the right women and the right channels to get this money. We were afraid of like some form of money getting stolen or co-opted. And so we're sitting in this board meeting, we're talking, and it's literally going nowhere. I hate those kinds of meetings. But this great leader stepped back and said, hey, no one's had a good idea for hours. So here's what we're going to do. Take the afternoon off, do what you need to, but come back at dinner with one great idea. So we're walking back to the hotel. My friends end up taking a nap. I sit in my room. I'm about ready to journal, and I hear this whisper from God. Go for a run. I'm like, okay. So I put on some Duke basketball shorts and I start like running. And I'm like, I, I don't know Bujumbura, Burundi. I just find myself just running and go, go downtown. Start running and running. And I find myself at this like center of town. And there's about four to 500 people and they're all crowded around a basketball court. So I just go up there and see what's going on. I'm pretty curious. I just stand there. When a guy walks up to me and go, punks me on the shoulder and goes, you good? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm good. Just watching some basketball. I love the game of basketball. It's fun. He goes, no, no, no. You good in basketball? I'm like, I, I'm all right. I like to play. No, no, no. If I pick you, will we win? <laughs> and I was like, if you pick me, we will win. And this guy looks at another guy and goes, you, you out. You, you in. <laughs> For the next hour and 45 minutes, we play. We go 6-0. and oh. At the end of the games, they come and they give us money. And I was like, I didn't know I joined the National Burundi Basketball Association. <laughs> and this guy comes at me, the, the captain who, who poked me, and he's like, tomorrow, championship game, be here. And I'm like... I, I got meetings tomorrow. He's like, who's your meetings with? I was like, oh, you know, we're trying to do this like micro-enterprise thing. I like, go in this pitch. And he's like, well, well who, who are you trying to meet with? I'm like, oh, we're trying to meet with like kind of anyone in the government of Bujumbura. Like we, we just, we need some help to infiltrate. And he's like, I run Bujumbura. <laughs> and your name is? And he utters his name and I'm like, I've been trying to get in contact with you for six months. I knew you loved the game of basketball. <laughs> so he gives me his card. And like, have you ever gone to those meetings? You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you already have the right answer. But you know all the other jokers don't. <laughs> so you're just going to let them kind of, you know what we should do? We should just email. Yeah, that's what we'll do. You know what we should do? We should show up at 6 a.m. and just wait for the people. And maybe we can get in with a government official and then we could tell them and pitch to them. I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. You know what we need to do? We need to play basketball. And they're like, what are you talking about? And you're like, you know the guy? I met him. And if we win, 
He'll take a meeting from us, and we won. So I'm like, I'm sitting here, and this moment, I'm like, this is a crazy, bizarre story. And yet, God, with all this redemptive potential, goes, hey, you want to try something? You trust me? You want to go? Okay. You want to get poked on the shoulder? You want to start in a conversation? You want to see what I can do through you? And conversation, conversation, conversation leads to microfinance in Bujumbura. All because someone said yes. And here, God is whispering to Ananias, here's what I need you to do. Here's this guy, Saul of Tarsus, man. He's, he's kicking it at this, this house, Judas's house, downtown Damascus, but he, he needs you. He needs you to come and tell him about me. He needs you. And you know what happens? Oftentimes, once we say yes, it's where our minds start to Jedi mind trick ourselves. And we start to like really think, well, you know, if I actually do make this invitation or if I really do ask this family over to our house, if I really do share my story, if I really ask that person about their past or if I really ask that person about their marriage, or if I really lean into, ah, me, ah, they're gonna think this about me. And you know what we do? We make excuses. And it holds our life in check. And we stop. And what's so beautiful to me is Ananias is so human that we actually get to see the questions that come to mind, the things that he offers up. And look what he says in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Basically, Ananias is like, hey God, have you been watching CNN? Do you know who this guy is? Me, literally, you know who Saul is? He's a first century terrorist. He was wreaking terror into the first century church. He took Stephen's life and all of the religious leaders took off their coats, put them at his feet, and he gave the approval to kill a follower of Jesus, the first martyr. And now he'd gone to the chief officials and was like, hey, hey, I hear that there's this move of God happening 150 miles from here and I wanna make it stop. Give me the authority. I will beat them, imprison them. I will do whatever I have to to have them stop talking in the name of Jesus. And they're like, good, go. And as he's going, you know the story. He's blinded. He falls to his knees. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? All the stuff that you're doing, yeah, you're hurting some people, but you know who you're really offending and hurting? Me. Me. And blinded, he's picked up and he's guided to this house in downtown Damascus, modern day Syria. He's there and he's just laying in this room and I imagine he's like in a fetal position and his mind is on playback. Thinking about the people that he imprisoned, thinking about the ways that he had gotten it wrong. Remember how like that happens to you? You lay in bed and you go, man, I had this conversation with a friend. Oh man, why did I make this decision again? Why did I fall into this trap again? Why did I say that to my kids that way? Why did I talk to my spouse this way and just play back? And I imagine Paul's just there in the fetal position and it's just going over and over and over. The scriptures say he hasn't eaten, he hasn't had any water, nothing to drink. He's not sleeping, he's just laying there and I bet he's just weeping. And you know what? In this moment, he needs someone to show up. 
He needs someone to see him. He needs someone to kind of put hands and feet to the heart and the way of Jesus in front of him. There's so many people around La Habra, La Mirada, Brea, Fullerton, Yorba Linda, Placentia, I can go on and on and on, that need you to show up. What's amazing is Ananias just makes all these excuses like, "Ah, this is a trap. If I go, I'll probably get imprisoned. My family's gone. I might get beaten. Who knows what would happen? God, are you you being punked? Are you being pranked? Why, Why would you want me to do this? But the truth is, we don't always see the full picture. We zoom in on a person's past or a person's choices or a person's story, and we get so suffocated by the fear, and we don't have the ability to do a little Google Earth and see the whole story. And so God lets Ananias in. Look what he says, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. All of a sudden, Ananias gets this vision, this perspective. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You're actually going to transform and do something unique and powerful. And you're actually going to take this guy's story and the story of Jesus. And it's going to go to the people that we've never actually engaged with. Mind blown, I imagine, for Ananias. There's this guy by the name of Tony Campolo. I've hung out with him a few times. And one time I asked him, and I I love asking this question when I meet someone. Hey, tell me your story. How did you come to faith? How did you come to experience the grace and peace of Jesus? And he goes, I could tell you that story, but I got a better story. I was like, okay, great. He goes, I'm speaking at this Pentecostal university. And right before I get up on stage, all the board of regents come and they want to pray and they say, get on your knees. And he's kind of a big, heavy, bald guy. And they begin to kind of lay their hands on him, some like with their hands on his dome and they're just praying over him. And they're screaming and they are yelling and they're praying for anointing and power and the spirit to move. And it's just beautiful. And then one guy, probably the fifth guy in, starts to pray and he goes, and dear God, we pray for Charlie. And Tony's like, my name's Tony, not Charlie. But he's like, we pray for Charlie. Charlie Stolfus. Charlie Stolfus, who lives in a gray, mobile home. Charlie Stolfus right now, God, is about ready to leave his wife and his three kids. And God, I pray, I pray that you would stop that. And Tony's like, what is going on? Just continues on the prayer. They say amen, he gets up and he teaches, pretty decent sermon, he gets down into his car, starts driving to the airport, and he sees on the corner distance, on the road, someone with their thumb out. Here's this whisper, pick him up. Pulls over, rolls down the window, hey, where are you headed? He says to the man, and the guy says, anywhere far from here. Well, I'm headed to the airport, I can drop you off downtown, Awesome gets in the car they start talking total small talk and probably a mile in tony goes hey what's your name oh my name is charlie 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 what charlie stolfus and at this moment tony locks the (laughs) the car doors whips a u-turn and goes charlie stolfus you live in a gray mobile home you just walked out on your wife and three kids 
And this guy starts breaking down, crying. He goes, who are you? And Tony goes, I am a man of God. And you are going to lead me to that mobile home. You are going to get your wife and your three kids. And you're going to walk out on the porch because I got a word for you. Now you talk about a walk of shame. You just walked out on the family. Now you're coming back going, I got a man of God. He picked me up. <laughs> and all of a sudden they walk out. And in this moment, Tony leads them to faith. A marriage restored. Eternities transformed. Legacies renewed. All because he heard a whisper and he said, yes. He was willing to go. And Ananias hears this picture and God's like, go. And so beautiful that he does. It says this, verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Imagine Ananias showing up, knocking on that door. The door opens. Are you Judas? Yeah, I'm Ananias. I'm here to see Saul. He's in the back corner, hasn't eaten for days. Walks in there. I know it's so beautiful how this Luke writes this book and just says, he walks up and he places his hand on his shoulder. And then he says, Brother Saul. Not murderer Saul. Not different theology Saul. Not sinner Saul. Brother Saul. And in this moment, builds this relationship with Saul risks it all for what matters most to God and the scales come off his eyes. He gets up, filled with the spirit, goes and gets baptized. And the New Testament and the world is never the same. What if Ananias said no? Would we have Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Would we have just incredible theology? Maybe, maybe. But what if Ananias said no? What if all these other people said no? You know, I had this moment a couple years ago. My wife and I were celebrating our our 10-year anniversary and uh, working in the church. We like saved up all of these nickels and dimes for about two years so that we could go to Hawaii. I'd never been. And we rented this condo on this cove, on the point of this cove. And, you know, every morning you'd have to go through like three different condos to enter into the water, condo like associations to enter into this water. And during the morning you could just walk in the water, put like kind of goggles on and, and just stand and see all of the beautiful fish and the turtles. It was just amazing. And during midday you could watch as massive whales were just breaching. It was stunning. But every once in a while probably about 6 p.m., there would be the sea change. The tide would rise. It would change, and six-foot waves would come barreling in. And what you could shallow and stand in now became nine feet, ten feet overhead. And all of a sudden, I'm like watching these whales breaching and six-ish, and I'm like grilling out the family, when all of a sudden, I hear this scream, Help! And I look down and I just see this woman just getting barreled over. And I know, I know she probably can't swim. And I know in this moment, she's just probably been standing looking at these turtles and all of a sudden the, the tides rose and she's done. 
And something comes over me like, you gotta do this. I take off running, I jump one condo association fence, run to another, jump another one, wrap around, fully clothed, and I'm thinking about my friends who were lifeguards in like Newport, and one of them used to gather all these lifeguards together, and they'd always say, not on our watch. Not on our watch. Take my shirt off, it's like Baywatch, I'm like running as fast as I can. Like I dive in, I'm like, not on my watch, God, not on my watch, not on my watch, and I'm just powering as fast as I can. I get to this woman, and she's just getting just wrecked by waves. Put her on my back, we swim back. I end up like picking her up. I run out to like the shore, put her down. It gets really real when I see her five-year-old boy just weeping, her 12-year-old daughter running up to her. And I'm like wondering like, gosh, I hope she makes this. And thank the Lord, she ends up like breathing and it's like, oh, good, everything's good. And as I'm walking back, I look up at the cove from where I ran and there's 50 people standing there like this. And you know what God whispered to me? Steve, how many times have you been one of those people up on the cove, arms folded, watching someone drown? This moment where I'm like feeling all good about myself, I feel like God like convicts me. And he's like, hey, 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 that's awesome. But hey, let's really be honest. You don't even know that woman's name. And let's talk about your neighbors, your family, your friends who are drowning in their marriage, drowning in addiction, drowning in debt, drowning in questions and matters of faith. And you're up there on the cove, arms folded. And friends, God got a hold of my heart and began to remind me, man, Something has happened in our church culture where we have stopped inviting, stopped talking, stopped sharing, stopped actually speaking the name of Jesus to other people. And where the church used to be some of the most inviting places in the world, we have become really good at standing with our arms folded on coves just watching. You know the reason I'm here? Because of two guys. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. To be honest, we, uh, for Easter, used to go to the horse track all the time. Uh, That's crazy. And, uh, but I met two juniors in high school, and their names were Dominic and Nathan, but they went by the name Dominate, which is just awesome. <laughs> and they ruled the high school. And one day I was playing basketball, and all of a sudden, Dominic walks towards me. I got a little nervous as a seventh grader, and he says, hey, Carter. You wanna learn how to dominate life? I still, to this day, think it's the greatest question anyone's ever asked me. And for the next six to nine months, these two took me under their wing and they taught me about Jesus. They taught me what it meant to chase after Jesus, what it meant to have high desire and high devotion. I wanted to be like them. I fast forward to my senior year of high school, got to baptize my mom, to my sophomore year of college, got to baptize my dad. And I think about why all of this happened is because Dominic didn't say no to a whisper to go talk to a junior high student. How often do you say no? What if you said yes? What if every time you heard God whisper, God prompt, you're like, yes, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's go. What if you actually believed 
that the thing that matters most to God isn't your bank account, isn't your zip code, isn't the car that you drive, isn't anything that you've ever accomplished. It's simply people. What if you began to believe that the greatest thrill that you could have was actually inviting people into the story of God? I mean, can you imagine what might happen here in this church, in our city of Fullerton, in North Orange County? Something would begin to stir. Who has God put in your life? Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a classmate, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, and God's just been whispering to you, hey, invite them. Invite them to your house, invite them to church, invite them into a conversation, talk to them about their past, and how many of us have just been pushing that off? And what if you said yes? See, here's where all the excuses start to come, and I get it because I'm really good at making excuses. We start to say, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. That's for the person up here. And my response to you would be, hey, do you have pain in your story? Yeah. Do you have sin? Yeah. Have you experienced grace? Yeah. You've got a story. Just tell that. It's an incredible story of who you once were and what God did. Share that. And when you actually begin to have the courage to do that, something happens. Families are restored. People's addictions are set free. People whose lives are just in debt, they kind of hear God's kingdom way of how to handle money and stuff transforms. Eternities in heaven is enlarged. I mean, stories just radically change all because someone said yes who said yes for you who is your dominate and why does it need to stop with you and I imagine in this room there's some of you who used to do this all the time but you're kind of retired and you're just kicking it on the cove in the nice condos and there's some of you who are like I don't know how to do it and I would just say me too But God gave us the Holy Spirit and he just whispers and he just guides and all you need to do is just live, show up, relate and be willing to take a risk and watch what God does. Live deep with Jesus, show up with expectancy, build right and ongoing relationships and be willing to risk. So here's what I'd love to do. I look at this church and I think that this church is crucial for Orange County. You don't know this, but like when I was a pastor in Fullerton, this church was one of a few in all of Orange County that set the trajectory and the tone for Orange County. You have influence, you have credibility, you have resources, you have giftings. There is something about this church that if you raise the temperature, you start living this invitational life, all these other churches will follow. It's just what you have. And so I start thinking about this. I look at seats over here. I look at seats over here. I look at seats over here. Seats over there. Seats over there. Seats in the middle areas that are empty. And I go, man, what would it look like in four months if that wasn't the case? 
And I don't, I'm not even a pastor here. I'm not on staff here. I don't get any benefit if you fill your church. It's no perk to me. Outside of it, I think it's the best way to live. It's the most risky way to live, to be talking and sharing and living your faith. So here's what I'd love for us to do. I'd love for you, if you are willing to say, I wanna live an invitational life. I wanna actually take my story and give that away. I wanna invite you to stand, if that's you. It's awesome. It's beautiful, man. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at like a seat. Just an empty seat. Beg God right now for a name for that seat. Who's a name in your life? Every one of us, no matter how old we are, how young we are, we have a circle of influence. Five people who want what we have. They want our marriage. They want a relationship with Jesus. They want our bank account. They want something that we have. And when you can begin to name that person And just say, God, give me opportunities. And I'll invite them into my home. I'll invite them into my life. And I'll invite them into my church. God, that's my prayer for this place. This church matters for Orange County. And God, I pray right now that there would be a renewal, a spirit of boldness, of fearlessness, people willing to take a risk that are spirit-empowered, spirit-led people to actually hear you and not make excuses but make moves to say yes. And God, I pray that more people say yes to you because of their boldness and their faith. Give them names, give them opportunities, and may they live this invitational life. May they risk themselves to align with what matters most to you, and that's people. We pray all this your name, and everyone said, amen. Thank you.